Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I am your host, Donnie Mabe. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. All right, I want to welcome our guest to the show, Travis Volantes, who is currently the Director of Applied Sports Science at the University of Texas. Travis, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Coach. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it's, it's a pleasure to have you uh, on the show. I know this is a project that we've been working on for a while, getting the podcast going, and uh, you've got so much to give and share with so many people, so uh, we appreciate you making time to uh, have this this uh, this show today in meeting. Yeah, I'm, I'm honored to be a guest on here, and I uh, really appreciate you putting this together. I think um, the way we work here at the University of Texas within our performance team is is a great story worth telling, and uh, I think we're going to be able to, to help a lot of people and kind of pull back the curtain and, and show what we do here. Awesome. Well, good stuff. Let's just jump right in. I think uh, before we go too far, uh, Travis, it'd be great just to, to take a moment and introduce yourself for those who don't know who you are. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you got your start, and kind of how you ended up along your career path here at the University of Texas. Sure. Um, I played Division three football um, at a small school in Iowa called Warburg College. Um, I, I grew up not far from there. Uh, my undergraduate degree is in biology, so I originally started off uh, wanting to be a physical therapist. And, and as I explored that path and, and started moving in that direction, I, I decided that I really wanted to work in athletics, uh, but maybe more on the athletic development end. Uh, so that kind of led me more towards the strength and conditioning path. Uh, so after I finished um, my undergrad in biology, I went on to grad school. Um, I was a graduate assistant strength and conditioning coach at West Texas A&M. Uh, ended up spending four years total there uh, where I worked in strength and conditioning and then also taught undergraduate courses in kinesiology um, and, and health and performance. Uh, so that was a great experience. I think um, my view of coaching has always been it's it's a teaching profession. Uh, so being able to actually teach yeah. in the classroom yeah, for sure. uh, as well as in the weight room uh, was a, a great experience for me. Um, and then after uh, grad school, uh, and working for a few years in the field, I uh, moved to the University of Wyoming. Uh, so I spent three years there, and that was really where I started uh, my journey towards uh, more of the sports science side of things. Um, I gradually transitioned uh, out of the weight room, although I was still the strength coach for, for a few sports, um, and, and really started looking more in depth at um, the athlete monitoring side of things with um, doing some wellness questionnaires, uh, some things with heart rate variability, um, more closely tracking performance in the weight room with bar speed, things like that. Um, and then that led me to uh, the position here at the University of Texas where I just completed the transition out of the weight room and uh, just over to the sports science side. So um, it's a, a little bit of a unique journey, um, but I, I wouldn't trade it for anything because I think it's it's given me the perspective uh, that's helped me contribute here at the University of Texas. Yeah, that. thanks for sharing that. I, I did want to kind of one thing I remember, and actually uh, read your paper that you did a whole research paper for volleyball. I know I work with volleyball currently. You help us with volleyball for sure. Can you talk about where did that? I'm just curious. Where did that uh, the interest in that? That kind of was that something that maybe 
kind of was like a, a domino that kind of got you going or yeah absolutely um that that was something that uh, i kind of stumbled into early on uh, when i was at wyoming so uh, we had started doing uh, wellness questionnaires and rpe questionnaires with our volleyball program um, and through the football program, we were able to get uh, some catapult units. And so um, I was able to kind of work a deal with them where volleyball would practice in the morning and, and I would take some of the football catapult units and, and put That's them on our, cool. our volleyball yeah. players. Um, and then I would rush them back over and get them <laughs> charged back up before they had to go out uh, yeah. back out for football practice in the afternoon. Um, and it's just sort of that relationship of monitoring what was actually going on in terms of mechanical workload and then how, how the student athletes felt uh, during practice and looking at the changes in those relationships that really got a lot of this going for me. Yeah, the one thing I remember stood out was just the number of jumps that you were tracking on different positions and things like that that coaches don't, I mean, a sport coach will, will plan out a practice, right? But to see that number, those numbers of jumps and quantify practice, uh, that was definitely something that was uh, was pretty eye opening. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Absolutely, I think um, a lot of times coaches are are so used to the routine of their practice, and and you get so close to it that sometimes when when you're able to put an objective number on exactly how much they're doing each day, um, it it really is uh, it's a surprise for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff, coach. Um, with sports science being pretty new here in the U.S. I know they've done it for years in Australia and other countries, but it's pretty new, wouldn't you say, here, especially collegiately in the U.S. There's a lot of interest, and in, I've had even more conversations over the past year and a half of strength and condition coach or professionals that they're looking at this as a career path choice. Um, you obviously have not only made that that switch in your career, and you're doing being very successful at it, uh, here at Texas, doing a phenomenal job. What advice would you give for any young professionals out there that may be like, hey, this is something I may be interested in? What would you say to somebody like that, Coach? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest lessons and um, something that, that I was kind of fortunate to learn early is keep your uh, horizons broad. So um, if you are looking to get into the athletic performance world and maybe you want to be an athletic trainer or a nutritionist or a strength and conditioning coach, um, learn about the other areas that are that are going to be associated with that area and make sure that you have a good working understanding of all those other areas um, because you may find out that maybe the, the strength and conditioning side is not what you want to get into and maybe it's more of the rehab and athlete care side of things and you, and you end up going down a path of, of sports medicine. So there are a lot of um, interwoven, interconnected um, professions that, mm-hmm. that deal with athletes. And so I think the more you have a better understanding of yeah. exactly what each role is, the more you can um, make a decision about which path you want to go down. Um, I would also say learning underlying principles uh, will serve you no matter what you choose. So um, from the physiology side of things um, to the psychology of, of sport and athletics, um, you know, whether it be like biomechanics or kinesiology, um, learning those underlying human development principles um, is, is really important to be able to have that flexibility to go across disciplines. Um, I think being able to understand thing, concepts like volume, intensity, density, um, to, and be able to translate those things into things that coaches um, can understand, um, other practitioners can understand, I think is huge. Um, again, I talked about kind of being collaborative and, and being interdisciplinary. So um, understanding that 
when when you work within a performance team, it's it's not a zero sum game. When when you win in the weight room, I win as sports science, and our our nutritionist wins as well. Um, so understanding that we're all here to help each other and to help our student athletes grow, um, and that when one of us gets a victory, that's that's a victory for all of us. Um, and then just continually ask questions. You know, why why are things done this way? Um, is there a better way that we could be doing things that, that we're not doing or that we haven't explored? Uh, so I think all of those things are uh, important as you look at what career path you want to go down um, when, as it relates to athletics and, and working in sport performance. No, I appreciate you saying that. I think, you know, from the time I've worked with you, Travis, you have just such an ability to get on the – Whatever level, you know, if somebody can't, maybe they don't have the depth of understanding on the topic or subject, you're able to break that down in a way that we all can understand it. But you also can take it up high, too, if you need to. And I like that you have, I feel like you've got that that relatability to connect with people. And I feel like, you know, because you, you were a strength and conditioning coach before, so you've worked with all the different uh, support groups around an athlete that you understand what we're dealing with. And so you have more patience understanding and emotional intelligence, I feel like, of how to read a situation and adjust that. And I feel like that's definitely uh, made you who you are today at Texas. So it's great advice. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Now, just change gears a little bit. Kind of walk us through what's a typical day or week for you. I I know you're a busy man. I do know this (laughs) Uh, because it's hard to catch you sometimes, but that's a good thing. It means you got a lot on your plate. But uh, somebody maybe that's never doesn't have a, a clue of what your role is like, what's a typical day or week, kind of share with us some insights. Yeah, I think um, in the applied sports science setting, um, it's it's very much interactions with our, our coaches and our student athletes. Um, I think a lot of people have this idea that you're behind a desk or behind a computer crunching numbers all the time. And, and while certainly that's a, an important part of the job and, and something that it requires, um, you know, I, I like to try and spend as much of the normal daily hours as I can uh, going to practices, um, you know, meeting with our student athletes, meeting with our coaches, finding out what their needs are, what's going well, what's not going well, because that's that's how you really build an effective department and how you find out what type of information they need. Um, so in a typical day, um, our, our sports science department is, is broken down into three key areas um, to help support student athlete growth and development. So we look at assessments, monitoring, and education. Uh, so that's how I spend most of my days. Assessments would be uh, any sort of athlete testing that we do in our Center for Applied Sports Science. Uh, that could be anything from body composition on the DEXA uh, to strength and power testing on a force plate. Um, to a movement screen, to any sort of metabolic assessment, uh, resting metabolic rate, um, or, or a type of conditioning test. Uh, we also do some some sensory mm-hmm. motor um, assessments as well. Uh, so we may be taking athletes through that um, on a given day and, and trying to inform decisions about, okay, how is their taper or their peaking going? Um, are they a return to play individual? And so how is their progress going in their rehab um, things like that. So we use assessments to inform those decisions. Um, from the monitoring side of things, so we have uh, seven teams across our campus that we uh, daily monitor their workload um, through some sort of device that they wear at practice and in competition. Uh, so that takes a That's big great. chunk yeah. of time. 
It's a lot. Uh, it is. Um, thankfully, we have a, a great staff of athletic trainers and strength and conditioning coaches who can be the ones who are at every practice every day, making sure that we're collecting quality information uh, to base those decisions upon. And then my job is sort of break it down on the back end for them. Uh, but I rely on those people heavily to to make sure that I can sort of be at all places at all times without actually having to be there. Um, and then we, we also do some other monitoring in terms of um, we may look at sleep or some other physiological variables with heart rate variability um, or direct current potential. Um, and then education, which, again, I think is still the most important part. Um, even though I'm, I'm not technically a coach anymore, I, I still put more stock in that education piece. So whether that's meeting with other members of our performance team and showing them uh, the feedback of the information we're collecting and, and figuring out how are we going to move forward, um, or whether it's giving a, a team presentation or meeting one-on-one -on -one with our student-athletes. But it's figuring out a way to take all of that information we're collecting and feed it back to the people that matter the most. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty powerful. I, I know just, I've even witnessed how you've worked with, with our teams and you get really just educating all of us, taking some of those assessments and giving us a clear snapshot of what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. I think it's one thing to go to, to use your coach and I have been talk to athletes, but it's another thing to have data to actually look at raw data and go, here's what you're looking at and give us a clear picture of that. So I know it's been it's been a huge help. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think, um, you know, really all it is, is is putting a value that we can track over time to the, to that coaching eye. And and again, I, I would say most of my experience here has been, you know, sort of reaffirming or just quantifying what our sport coaches, what our strength coaches, what our athletic trainers are already seeing on a day to day basis with their interactions. So um, it's it's really just about giving them a clear cut way to track that over time as opposed to, you know, really disputing a lot of the things that they see because we've got great people who have really good, really good coaching eyes. That's good. Um, kind of to, to add on to that, you talked a little bit about the different um, support groups, the different areas that, that, that surround a student athlete. And this is kind of what the podcast is geared towards, this performance team model approach. How would you describe the performance team model and then kind of what are the benefits you see from this type of approach? Sure. Um, I, I would describe our, our performance team model as um, just a way to foster cross-collaboration um, and, and ultimately just to provide the best care for our student athletes possible. Um, and so I think when you have that as your end goal and everybody starts with the same goal in mind, which is we all want to make sure that our, our student athletes are as successful as they can be, um, that they reach peak performance and that they stay healthy while they're here doing it. Um, I think everything else falls into place after that. So starting with that end goal in mind. Um, but for us, that model really looks like making sure that we connect regularly with the people who have impact and influence um, on the day-to-day -day mm -hmm. interactions That's with right. our student-athletes mm -hmm. um, and making sure that they have the best information possible to, to do their job. So uh, we already know we have, we have great coaches, we have great trainers, um, and so it's just a matter of putting the best information in their hands to, to help make the hundreds of decisions a day that they make about what goes on with training, performance, health, recovery. Um, all of those decisions are already being made. How can we better inform those decisions to make sure that we're getting the outcomes that we want um, and that we're continuing down the, the path that's going to lead them to success? 
Yeah, and I kind of want to add to that. I think that's that's a great way to explain it. And you've been in coaching long enough. You've worked in, you've been in sports that oftentimes people with, with something so new as sports science, it can be almost, there can be pushback, right? People can be skeptical. And it takes time to kind of get, you know, to build the model that you've really, I feel like you've been uh, very just complimentary in bringing the pieces together. Because a lot of times you can have the pieces, but there's not always great synergy and they don't work well together. Um, so I, I would say to add to that, talk about kind of what has been your mentality and approach on starting something so new at Texas and in all these different pieces, you've done just a almost like an orchestra. And I know every every sport coach is different and every team is different. And we've talked about this. You kind of move the needle, so to speak, as far as like just trust and buy in. What have you done kind of in, in your own, own uh, way approach to do that to make it successful? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, conducting an orchestra is, is a great way to put it. Um, I, you know, I, I think it starts with one being present with all of those people. So um, making sure that you have those regular interactions with them mm-hmm. and that they understand that ultimately you're you're there to to serve their best interest. I think this is I see this position very much as a as a servant leader type position um, where it is my job to provide them with any information that they feel is going to help them do their job better. Um, and and to just kind of guide them along that path. And so for for me to try and dictate what a, a sport coach of 20 years needs to do their job better is not something that's going to make sports science very successful, and it's not something that's going to foster a collaborative relationship. So um, just being present and, and kind of listening to their needs and the things that they feel like are going well, the things that they're kind of struggling with day to day, and then trying to figure out where you can help um, in that is mm-hmm. is really all I've, I've been trying to do. Um, you know, I think presenting then viable solutions with some of the things that that you see that they're struggling with again so we may have some great sort of pie in the sky ideas but if it doesn't work within our practice schedules and within the time constraints that we operate with in the collegiate environment then again ultimately i'm just going to be setting myself up for empty promises that i can't deliver on Mm -hmm. Uh, so always trying to make sure it's it's going to be a practical viable solution um and then no matter how many great relationships you build, no matter how present you are, um, all of those things, ultimately, we have to provide results. Um, that's kind of what we're all here to do is provide results. And so um, I have to show them value in what we're doing and, and how we're spending our time. That's what I was thinking time. through the value add. Absolutely. Um, so being able to show that we can track performance and progress over time, um, really, again, uh, being able to affirm some of the things that they're seeing in practice. You know, if, if a coach says, man, I, I really feel like we're tired or we're struggling, um, you know, being able to affirm some of those things with, well, coach, this is this is what we saw in some of the information that we've collected. Um, so if that is the case, now how do we move forward? What's the best way? Uh, so just creating buy-in by almost just um, – affirming their coach's eye and some of the things that they're seeing with their years of experience, because there's, there's no way that I'm going to be able to tell them, um, you know, through, through the small amount of experience that I have that, Hey, you know, you're doing this wrong, or we should be doing this another way. Um, that's going to burn up a lot of my time and energy and it's not going to foster a collaborative relationship. Yeah. And I think you just, you, you nailed it on the head when you said add value, 
I think at first when you see or you feel any kind of pushback or skepticism, this once a coach kind of light bulb goes off, like, hey, I'm here to help you win. I'm not here to make the, you know, to, to keep the athletes from getting in great shape or not perform well. I'm here. And, and oftentimes, would you agree, it's sometimes it's not really a big change. It's just a tweak here or there. Uh, what they're doing is already working, but if they can adjust it, again, that 1%, like we, we talk about all the time, is like that can be a difference maker in a win or a loss. Absolutely. And that's, um, you know, if, I think if, if there was one major message that I have learned here, it's not that we're not trying to reinvent sport or, or reinvent the things that a, a coach has done for years and years. We're, we're just trying to move that needle a little bit each and every day. And, and the way that we move that needle is uh, we inform the decisions that are already going on and, and we help make better decisions uh, just based off of the information that we're collecting. And so um, if, if we can get those small wins day to day where we can help a student athlete recover a little bit faster, uh, feel a little bit fresher before the next competition, um, train a little bit harder today, um, all of those things just slowly move that needle. And then by the time we get to championship season, the end of the semester, when, when yeah. things matter most, counts, um, yeah. we've, we've already done all of that work. Um, to make sure that we're going to be successful in those times. That's good. It's good stuff. Um, let's talk a little bit now about athlete monitoring. You obviously you do a lot of that uh, with with the athletes here at Texas. Kind of explain to us what is athlete monitoring and how does it benefit performance today? And then maybe do you have an example where you know, again obviously keeping it confidential, but just maybe a, an example, a general example you've seen that's made a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of athlete monitoring, uh, we would look at evaluating workload and recovery uh, through objective and subjective means, uh, preferably both uh, at the same time. So um, what we have found here is that we, we get the most amount of buy-in from our student athletes and from our coaches when we can tell a story about um, explaining how they feel and how they're how they're performing, and the best mm-hmm. way to tell that story um, is by having both objective and subjective information. So um, that's a, a great Daniel Kahneman quote that I keep on my office wall all the time: is uh, no one ever made a decision based on numbers; they need a story. Um, and oh, I so, like, I like I've never heard that one. Absolutely. That's a great quote. Yeah. Um, and so constructing that story from, from the daily monitoring information that we get uh, becomes really, really important. Uh, so in, in terms of um, how it benefits our student-athletes' performance, um, in a lot of our sports now we have several years of, of data that we've collected for what practice looks like, what competition looks like. Um, and so we're really just able to work backwards and say, these are the demands of competition. How can we make sure that our practice, and our training sessions are preparing us for those demands of competition to, to meet and exceed those demands? And so um, that's, I think, feel like where we've been the most successful is um, – using those competitions as a model and figuring out when in practice we're, we're able to really push and, and replicate some of those game situations mm-hmm. and when are days where the athletes are experiencing a lot of fatigue and we're not going to be able to get the game intensity out of them. So then maybe we, we break it up and we work on things like volume and capacity, things that, that maybe don't require some of those mm. high-intensity outputs. Uh, so there's uh, a lot of different ways that that we can do that depending on the sport. Um, 
And I think for, for my job from the athlete monitoring standpoint is to be able to give the coach more of that 10,000 foot view. So the sport coach is always worried about the next game, um, you know, what's happening this week, how is the team looking this week. My job is to be able to step back and say, how does this week fit mm-hmm. with what we've done the previous two weeks and what we're going to do the next three or four weeks? Uh, so I get to keep my eye on the overall picture, um, how our workloads are, are trending over time, and are we going to make sure that we're tapering appropriately for the championship part of the season while still holding on to to enough fitness to be able to make it through um, you know, any calendar congestion or dense competition periods that may occur postseason. Yeah, because that when you you mentioned a, a good part there about when coaches, when you're in the heat of the battle, you're in season, and the emotion of you know wins or losses, and you're trying to prepare a team to do well, not just now, but get them ready for the end of the year. That athlete monitoring helps you provide a snapshot, like coach, here's what you've done, here's where you're at, and here's what I suggest going forward. Uh, I think that's been uh, priceless. So I know that's that's kind of what you're talking about there. Absolutely, and I, I would say the the number one variable that affects workload in the in the collegiate setting is the calendar. Um, so how many off days do you have to have this week? How many competitions do we have? Um, that in and of itself creates large swings in workload where uh, some weeks you have a lot of opportunity to accumulate load. And so that ends up being a high workload week. And then other weeks with travel, with off days, maybe with more limited competition, we have very little opportunity to accumulate workload. So we end up really sort of dropping down in our workload. And and so what we try and do is make sure that the calendar does not dictate to us uh, what we're able to do, what we're able to achieve that week, and that we're going to hit our workload marks, whether it be, okay, we need to be more aggressive because we don't have many opportunities to get load this week, or whether we're going to be more conservative because we have a number of opportunities to get load this week. Yeah, you mentioned something else I want to add to that, because I've heard you say it even recently, uh, and you just mentioned it again about having uh, a database of numbers of previous uh, practice sessions from last year or year before. How important is that to have layers of years behind you to compare for a team and kind of where they are right now compared to last year, et cetera? Absolutely. I think that's that's crucial. Having um, consistency, um, both from a sport coach um, mm-hmm. all the way on down is is hugely important because now we have that historical record to be able to say, Okay, well, in previous years, this is where our fitness level has been. Uh, This is where our fatigue level has been, and this is how we've performed. Uh, And so that's really, we use that as a a guiding principle to what we want to do this year and and the things we want to achieve. And so um, I think having that historical information has been um, priceless for us, both on a team level and then on an individual level. So understanding the demands that a student athlete faced when they were a freshman and sophomore, and now all of a sudden maybe they've moved up to a starting or, or contributing mm-hmm. role when they're a junior and senior. Yeah, a lot more volume. And, on, yeah. Exactly, and, yeah. and really understanding that wear and tear on their body and, and how they maybe haven't experienced that before um, and the things that we need to do as a performance team to make sure that they're going to be able to stay healthy and, and continue to perform at a high level. Yeah, that makes sense if a freshman practiced a lot more but didn't play as much, but now they're playing more may want to look at the, how much the, the, the training load is in practice uh, as a sophomore or junior going into that those Absolutely. years. Absolutely. It's a, it's a huge paradigm shift. 
So good stuff. Um, talking about sports science again, uh, where do you see the future of sports science heading? Is there any innovations or advances that will impact athletes, uh, how they're performing now, or how coaches make decisions? Any thoughts on that, kind of where it's at now, where you see it going? Yeah, I think coaches now have more information at their fingertips than than they've ever had. Um, and I think as we move forward, coaches are going to get better and better at, at utilizing that information. Um, I think from a, a specific sports science standpoint, um, activities like monitoring, collecting information from athletes uh, is going to become less and less invasive. So the more information that we can gather in a passive manner where we don't have to disturb what's going on in, a, in an athlete's normal day, um, those are going to be the things yeah. that, that really take off. Um, nobody wants to have to wear two or three sensors. Nobody wants to have to you know, wear something while they go to sleep or have something bothering them during a game. So uh, the less invasive we can be, I think, the better. And the technology will um, take us in that direction. Um, I think there's going to be more integration with actual sport. Um, so we're already seeing this with some of the wearables integ- integrating with things like game film. Uh, so now we're able to see, you know, uh, an athlete is uh, running a sprint on the field. Um, mm-hmm. You're watching that on game film, and then we can get how fast they're running that sprint as the coach is watching the game film. So now you can do things like show if an athlete's letting off early or uh, truly sprinting, giving a maximal effort during certain times um you know when when i played college football it was always the old saying the eye in the sky doesn't lie yeah that's true Um, and and we're only going to add to that and make that even more prevalent yeah there's really not i mean there's really not much today from sweat to to like you said your heart rate fatigue levels that you can't monitor today and get some kind of data and read out on kind of what's going on in an athlete Mm -hmm. i think the um the true test is going to be the people who can filter through, you know, we can measure so much because of technology now. Um, and, and the people who are going to be truly successful are the ones who can filter out the things that we do and do not need to be measuring what adds value and what is worth measuring. Um, and, and what really is not adding value and, and helping our, our athletes progress. So, um, that's that's going to be a key moving forward and why I think the sports science role, particularly in the collegiate environment, um, I, I think is where nutrition was four or five years ago where, um, you know, it maybe used to be a, a strength and conditioning coach was in charge of making peanut butter sandwiches and making sure that they had bagels yeah. and, and fruit out um, to now where you see we have whole nutrition departments with full staffs of, of dietitians available right. to be able to it's give that, that individual work. Um Sports science is going to have to move along that realm. There are a lot of places spending a lot of money on technology to be able to monitor these things, but the return on the investment is very low because you don't have a specific staff member whose entire job it is to make sure that, okay, we sift through what is important, what is adding value to our program, and what is not. Um, So that's where we're going to see the growth in sports science in terms of personnel is people who are able to interpret this huge influx of information that we're getting from from all of this technology. I know it's kind of cool. I would, as you know, I was able to go to Australia last year for a little bit and, and see kind of how they run their sports science. And we're definitely doing some of what they're doing, but they're probably what, 20, 30 years ahead of us, would you say maybe? Something um, like that? I'm five to 10, maybe. Five to 10? Yeah. And to see how they're kind of running their teams, 
it, it was kind of cool to, and that's just over there. It's their language is just different. And I would say over there, they're de- definitely data driven. A lot of data over there in Australia, but here we're more, it's a little bit more practical on the coaching side, but you're starting to see, like you said, the innovations come in technology here in the U.S. and start to really influence and drive some decisions uh, with the coaches and whatnot. So it's pretty cool to see. I definitely think that goes back to that uh, integrated approach. So um, now, you know, the, the strength coach has access to all of this information and they, they understand um, exactly what the information means because they have a sports scientist on their team that's kind of showing them what to look for, um, you know, letting them know, hey, the, this is the threshold that we're looking for. This is when things are going really well. This is when things are not going well. Um, so, again, just having people on staff that are able to communicate and sort of translate that um, just allows everybody to collaborate in a much more efficient way. What about, let's talk a little bit about here, kind of as we get we get near the end of our show, um, what do you do for professional development to make sure you're consistently growing? I know you're a big reader, but maybe share with, uh, with, with, with the audience, what do you do to, to stay sharp? Um, I think podcasts are, are terrific. Um, one of the reasons why I was, I was so glad uh, to hear about this opportunity and jump at it and, mm-hmm. and thankful for you for getting this off the ground. Um, I think podcasts are a way to make use of a lot of um, dead time that, that maybe we wouldn't normally be able to have a chance to, to grow and improve. Um, so on things like the, the wonderful commute that we have here in Austin um, or, or even times where I'm, I'm at my desk just um, – doing some of the the number crunching and stuff that's part of the job just to have that on in the background um i can't tell you how many ideas that have that have sparked during times like that by by listening to podcasts um a lot of of that type of information that i like to listen to are things that deal with um interacting with with other people and and figuring out how other people learn and absorb information um so i'm a, a huge fan of the the behavioral economics field right now um, I listen to uh, a lot of podcasts that deal with that and, and with human behavior. Um, our our team physician is kind of my podcast guru. He always points me in the in the direction of what's the latest and greatest podcast or did you hear this episode or that because there's fundamentally if all of this information is great, but if you can't communicate it in a way that mm, that other people can understand, point, yeah. um, it's it's not really worth anything. And so I, I spend a lot of my time uh, trying to figure out. How do I send the best message to the people that I work with day in and day out? What, what's uh, your go-to show? You got one for us? Um, the the You Are Not So Smart podcast is great. Yeah. Um, I, gotta, I haven't listened to it. I gotta get on this. <laughs> I've heard you and Dr. Bray talk about it. i got to get on it. Yeah, that's um, that's definitely one of my favorites. I'm also a big uh, Freakonomics fan. So, again, being able to, to look at you know a set of data or a specific problem and um, kind of turn it on its head by looking at really some, some objective information, I think a lot of what they do is, is pretty fascinating as well. Um, and then from, from a book's end, um, you know, I, I try and read uh, a book a month if I can. Um, Strong, yeah. you've, you've kept me on track with that and yeah, we, we've yeah, kind of kept each other. <laughs> I've fallen behind. You, you kept me coming. So I appreciate it. Appreciate um, but I, I definitely enjoy, um, you know, you selecting books for us and, and me being able to, to point out a book or two that that's been good for our development. Um, again, cause I think always approaching something from the same angle, um, doesn't allow you to truly grow and advance in, in what you're doing. And so, um, 
things like that where having you pick a book for me that I may not have picked for myself and, and you, suggest yeah. something I think is um, that's invaluable for, for my personal growth. Um, and then, you know, journal articles staying, trying to stay current on, on everything that's yeah. changing in the field. Research, yeah. um, absolutely. And, and so much of what we do here um, is based off of the great work that other people have done. So I don't have to reinvent the wheel and start from ground zero in order to help our student athletes. I can go off of a lot of the published research, a lot of the great work that's been done by others, um, and then expand on that um, and very quickly sort of figure out, were we able to replicate that with the data we collected? Okay, great. How do we move forward for the next step? Or, hey, maybe maybe this um, isn't a great approach for us because we're not really seeing those same patterns in the data we collected that they saw in the published research. Talking about two kind of last thing on, uh, just want to love to hear you from you about maybe on the developmental side, as we kind of wrap up here, has mentoring been a big thing? Is it, has it been something that's impacted you? Have you, if you had a mentor or a coach or, 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 somebody who's really like poured into or maybe just impacted how you you think and carry yourself is there anybody out there um you know i i would probably be remiss if if there weren't a half a dozen to a dozen people i i didn't mention um i'm every place i've been i think i have i've been exposed to people who um you know, have been great at what they do and, and maybe present things in a in a different way that have helped me grow and helped me change. So I think to mention any one person probably wouldn't be um, wouldn't be fair. Um, but yeah, every place I've been, I've had yeah, somebody great that's, that's influenced me. Yeah, no, that's been a big part. I know being a coach and being in sports, having people around you that you just learn from over the years has been has been huge for me as well. So well, cool, Travis. I think that's it for today. Um, as people listen to the show, where can people find more out about you if they want to reach out to you, connect with you? How can they? How can they do that, Coach? Absolutely. Um, so I'm. I try and be uh, pretty active on Twitter. Um, so my handle is at Platform Warrior uh, from my Olympic weightlifting days. Um, and then uh, from there, you can direct message me uh, or through my university email. I'm always happy to to reach out and help. I think uh, I am a big believer that the entire field grows as more and more people um, gather information and and kind of figure this out. So I I was um, jumped at the opportunity to to be on this podcast with you because I feel like we do a lot of great things here and the collaboration with mm-hmm. with the people here at the University of Texas um, and that the more we can get that message out there that. Hey, your your performance team should be people that you lean on and, and people that you learn from and, and grow with, um, not people to, you know, fight with and, and try and claim credit from and things like that. I think the more that we can get that message out there, um, the more student athletes mm-hmm. we help along the way and, and the more we can grow and advance the profession a lot quicker, which is the biggest thing I'm interested in. So, um, yeah, if, if you have any questions about some of the things that we do here, I'm, I'm always happy to to have a talk with it well travis we appreciate your time and uh again anybody interested connecting with travis don't hesitate to reach out to him uh through the handles he gave you he is definitely uh, a game changer for us here at texas i know kind of in our strength circle we, we call him he's a rock star in in our uh in our area and so he brings a lot of value has had a big impact here and will continue to with our athletics teams 
our coaches and administration over the years. And I look forward to continuing working with them. So, Travis, thank you for your time. We appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. All right. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe, and thanks so much for tuning in.